Amen. When you're on the solid rock, you may fall. But you're on something solid. You ought to stand back up and keep standing back up and keep on keeping on. There's no reason for a Christian to ever give up on living their life for the Lord because of the price he's paid and the foundation he's given us through Jesus Christ. Our text today is in 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be reading there just a couple of verses. Well, we'll start reading, um, let's say verse 14 through 19 we'll read. God prepares his people. At the time that Peter is writing to the Christians of his day, they were undergoing persecution. And the persecution was specifically just aimed at their beliefs in Jesus Christ. And so they were, they were being watched. They were being watched by the Roman authorities. They were being watched by the other religions round about them. They were being watched at their workplace, watched at their schools, watched in their neighborhoods. There were those ready to report them for any kind of anything that could catch them on. And so Peter is very adamant about their behavior. He says, you're living in a world that's watching you. And here is what he has to say to them. He said, if you be reproached, if somebody's got something against you for the name of Christ. He said, you're happy. That's a blessing. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, Christ is glorified. So he said, if, it's, if you're being reproached because of standing for Jesus and being a Christian, then... Praise God. But, he said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a bitty, busy, bitty, a busy body in other people's matters. Isn't it interesting how he puts busy bodiness in there with murder and thievery? In other words, that's a catch-all for a lot of us. It's something we're often guilty of. It's busy bodiness. Busy bodiness. He said, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For your time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? He says, so judgment's coming. He said, and if, and if judgment comes to those of us who know the Lord and are Christians, if it first begin with us, what about those who aren't Christians? If our, if our lives are somehow not positively impacting the world around us, then... Not only are we going to be judged about that, what about their judgment? Where, what are we laying them liable to? What's going to happen with them? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, 
What about the ungodly and the sinner who appears before God? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as a faithful creator. So he's given them assurance. He said, you're, going to, you're, going to, you're facing this world that's watching you. But that's a, a glorious thing if you're representing the Lord. But if you're not representing the Lord, it's a, it's a major subtraction of our life. Of those who see us every day and we are, their, we are their witness. We are the one that should in some way be showing them the gospel. Last week we talked about rousing the sleeping giant. Rousing the sleeping giant. And I think part of that has to do with our day-to-day living and our expectations about God working in our life. We're not keeping an eye on the ball, I think, quite often. And we get them on ourselves. And when we get our eyes on ourselves, then somebody's suffering. Somebody else is suffering. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 and 15 has this promise to us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. So it's a promise not only to the believer who repents and turns and changes their ways and seeks to live an obedient life, but also to the land around about them. He said, my eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that's made in this, in this place, speaking of the house of God. Dale Robinson, who was a pastor of a church on the Gulf Coast, when God was working in his church, and there was a great tragedy in their area when a hurricane came through that land. It didn't hit that area directly, but the waters of that hurricane, as we have seen across our state, uh, were way up and raging. And there were some boys, one was named Eddie and his two brothers. And they made a raft out of styrofoam. The water was up and it was flowing, looked good. So they got out on it. And as they approached the spillway, in some of these areas they've got these big ditches, concrete ditches, deep. As they approached the spillway, the raft broke up. And two of the brothers got out of the water. In spite of that concrete, they got up. But Eddie could not get out. And he clung to a piece of styrofoam from the raft and he was calling for help. And his brothers ran in and told their dad. The dad's name was Leroy. And Leroy jumped into the truck and raced out to the bio. With Eddie floating just out of reach, that father ran back to the truck and he got a rope. And later Leroy said, I threw him the rope. But the rope was too short. And I saw my boy go over the spillway into the deep waters. We found his body about 3 o'clock the next morning. His pastor was thinking about Eddie, obviously, that week. 
Eddie calling out, help me, help me. Somebody help me. I can't hold on much longer. And he said he thought not only about Eddie, but he also thought about the unbelieving multitudes in the city and in the world, clinging in desperation to some fragile thread of hope. He said, I could see us Christians throwing out ropes. Ropes too short to reach the world today. And God worked in that tragedy as that father and those two brothers and others in the area saw this not only as a physical lesson, but a spiritual lesson to them. And they received Christ as their Savior. And they became part of that church family there. The Lord used even that tragedy. But we need to ask ourselves, is the rope that we're throwing too short? Is it too short to reach those around us? When a church wakes up, when it really wakes up and is dependent on God and is seeking the Holy Spirit to really guide us and be obedient to His Spirit, then there's an, it arouses the church. It arouses Christians. It arouses us to reach out. So spiritual renewal comes when God's own people themselves begin to respond to the Spirit's direction of full surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It always starts. God's work starts among the people. And generally when God gets close to us, the first response that we have is repentance. We realize how we've allowed our lives to get so mired up with so much and so many things that we're not, we're not responding. We're not really burdened for the lost. We're not interested in seeing people brought to Christ. We don't invite our friends. We don't, we don't uh, share with them in any specific way. Even when they give us opportunities sometimes. We even are too ashamed sometimes to speak. And so when God's people are spiritually revived, when they are, it happens when Christians are convicted of the presence and the practice of sin in their life and they confess their guilt and they receive the forgiveness of God. The Bible specifically states to Christians, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the road back. If we've tailed off the road... That's the road. That's the first step back. And the church ought to be a a spiritual clinic. It ought to be a place where people could come for healing. One One of the saddest parts of pastoring, and you could, I might imagine some sad things like this pastor was dealing with, but one of the saddest things that I've dealt with as a pastor this is all the way through, last church, this church. Is when I see believers leave the church. I'm not talking about just going to another church. I'm talking about leave the church. And often, for the first 
25 years, I always blamed myself. I was so egotistical that I thought it had to be with me. And so I spent a lot of time in my ministry feeling guilty. I, must, I wished I'd have done something different. I wish something could have been said. Did I say something? It's all of that. But what, what's, that's, that's, that's hard enough. That's not the hardest part. The hardest part when somebody has failed somebody else by a misspoken word. The Bible says that our words are like arrows. And when we shoot those arrows and wound a fellow believer, and I can dare say I'm probably guilty of it. Anybody talks as much as I do bound to shoot a foul word sometimes. But when we are when we, when we are so little control with our tongue, the Bible says the tongue is like a little fire that can start a great fire. And when I see someone wounded for the cause of Christ, because of something we've misspoken, and sometimes I don't even know it. I don't even know what happened. Most of the time, I probably don't know it. Time will pass. Maybe a year or two will pass. And I might hear about it. Folks, it's hard. <laughs> and I'm not... It's hard to, for a church to grow. It takes work. But it's not hard for a church to go down. It's not hard when we're not living right, talking right. The tongue is very devious. And it, and it, can, it takes a lot of, a lot of us use a lot of our smarts with it. And, and we see the wounds that can be made. And I'm not talking any, anything about any specific thing at all. This has been ministry long with me. Sometimes it's like, it's like running into a fire with a bucket and there's more holes in the bucket every time you move, try to go back to the fire. So this is for myself. I'm warning myself. And, and for our church... If there's something we need to get clear in our heart, it is one, our tongue. When Christians are challenged to follow the Lord closer, then their reach gets longer. When we begin to take seriously our call to discipleship, our responsibility with our time and our talents and our possessions, when Christians start practicing strong values of family, and work and citizenship, it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you're at your workplace, your school place, wherever you are, wherever our testimony is, wherever our life is, it makes a difference. When teens are challenged to, 
in their relationship to Christ to make Him Lord of every aspect of their life and give themselves to His service. You know, sometimes we hear. We hear what are the right things. We listen. But sometimes we think just because we've listened, we somehow have obeyed. But listening has got to get down to the living. It's got to be in the obedience part, not just hearing it. When there's a new spirit of expectation in worship, don't come in here expecting the worship to somehow just rouse you up. You should be rousing up the worship. You and I, we are responsible in our praise to God. We're responsible to, to, to let our praise go forward. I've been proud of the choir in the last many months. They, they've, they've upped the beat. Not just the beat, they've upped the spirit. But it's not only our singing, it's our living. It's got to be, we've got to come into church expecting God to do something. And praying before we get here that God's going to do something. In spite of the poor preaching or whatever else takes place, God's going to work. God can work with poor preaching. I can tell you that. I've watched Him do it in my life and others. God can work. But I have to come with that expectancy today. Today I came in, I've been, I've been watching this storm like we all have all week long. Well, you know, when you've got to make the call one day, you've got to say, well, are we going to meet or not? You tend to watch these things a little closer. And so it's been on my mind. I've been thinking about it. And finally the morning comes. I'll wake up early this morning. I'm thinking, there could be a hurricane outside. Well, I looked at my little meter and it had like a third of an inch of rain. And everything looked so calm out there. And I had to open the door to even know it was rain out there. So when I come in this morning, that's what I had thought about, all about all of this rain business and dragging. And I needed to, I needed to, I needed the Lord. So Don, I caught you this morning to bring me down here and pray for me. And you did. And I appreciate it. It gave me a sense of expectancy that God's going to do something. And so when the leadership and the fellowship of Starnes Cove Church step up to the challenge to give God our best, that's when God's doing something. God's going to do something. We need to hear the call of the Spirit. We need to wake up. One of the major battles of the American Civil War was and I think I'm pronouncing it right, Antietam. More people fell in one day in this battle than the other battles combined. Not combined, but of any other day in the war. This is up in Maryland, Sharpsburg, Maryland. And there was, um, in that battle, there was a group, the North Carolina Brigade, and among that group were some people from Buncombe County. They were part of the Rough and Ready uh, guard that Vance, Governor Vance, or 
I forgot his first or last name. What was it Lester? Zebulun. Zebulun. Why? He had helped form that guard. He wasn't in this battle. But some of those Buncombe County boys were. And they were led by General Anderson. And they formed a line of defense along the front part of the war, the war's front, you might call it, I guess. And suddenly the northern troops made a rare attack upon the Confederates, and the, and the command was given to another southern brigade to flank that North Carolina brigade, to turn. They were given the order to turn. That meant to flank. That meant to move themselves into position, to be there, to give support to that attack, against that attack. Well, that, that order was understood to be retreat. Instead of to turn, the order was understood to be to retreat. And that, that group left out. Left out of there. And so this one southern brigade was left there, along with this North Carolina group, to be there as the enemy swarmed down upon them. They stayed and they fought. And it was an awful battle. Uh, that, uh, that area right there was called the Bloody Lane. It was, it was, there was so much death there, so much killing there. But they kept their position. Somehow they, they were able to maintain their position, even though there was a great, great loss. And General Longstreet, after he, he, after he had asked about that battle, his words said this, They held their place. Many people do not understand God's commands to engage. And they are instead retreating. And God will, I think, hold us responsible to hold our place, our time, our, our opportunity, our generation. To build a bridge to the next generation. That's what this church is here for. We've got generations coming on. Some of you are young. You're going to be part of this for a long time. And, and those of us who are older, we're part of this. To stay with our Lord and His work and what He's doing in our midst. So, May God give us a heart to stand for Jesus. So practice your singing for one thing. Give it all you got. Somebody will look around and say, what in the world is that? Listen to that great voice back there. You say, well, it can't be me. It can be you. It can be you. The disheartened and discouraged and disenchanted and downcast. When they come, they'll be lifted by the Word of God. That's what God's Word is. It calls us. It inspires us. It challenges us. It gives us the order by which we live. And the altar of Christ will become a place of repentance. One of the great losses in the Modern church is the altar of God. And people really praying and asking God to 
Not only for things they need, but asking God to pour out His grace in His church and among His people and on the lost and on the backslidden. Our Sunday school classes, we should come in there with a sense of expectancy that what we're learning there is, is arming us for the battles that we're going to face. We worship a God whose rope is not too short. It will reach. It will reach if we'll cast it out to others. Father, we thank you for Jesus who left heaven to come to this earth to reach, to reach the lost and those who are hurting with his love and his forgiveness. And we're thankful to represent Him. And so today I pray that God, if there be one here today, that somehow in the midst of this message to the church, they've heard the message to their heart. And there may be that sense of lostness. And God, will you help me? Will you reach to me? They're calling out. There's neighbors we have. There's people we work with and go to school with. And they're hanging on by a thread. And in their way, they're calling out. Don't let our rope be too short, O Lord. And we love you and thank you for Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to change our hymn today. We're going to change it to uh, hymn number... 546, 546, Love Lifted Me. So let's stand together today and let's sing this hymn. Pay attention to the words, what God might be speaking to our heart about today. I was seeking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now say, am I? Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. All my heart to Him I give clean. In his blessed presence live ever his praises sing. Love so mighty and so true, there is my soul's best song. Faithful love in service to, to him belong. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me.